Hello, and welcome to Minor League Musician. I'm Tom Reardon, and I'm your host, and I am a minor league musician. Today, I want to talk about the first full-length record that I ever worked on. This is a record called Colorized, um, from my band Hillbilly Devil Speak, and it came out in 1998. Now, in the previous episodes, you've heard me talk about the first 7-inch that, that Hillbilly did and, and some shows that, that Hillbilly Devil Speak did over the years, and, and, and that was just a drop in the bucket. Um, but, and I've alluded to Colorized a few times. Uh, first, you know, the name. Um, this name... Uh, and the image that the name came from got us some flack, um, and, and even even uh, got us accused of being racist a few times. Even though my intent, the intent of the band, was to to be anti-racist, um, colorized came from this picture that I got in the summer of 1995 or 96. I think it might have been 1996, now that I'm thinking about it. There there was, a, in Bisbee, Arizona, in the summertime, there was a poetry festival, and for a couple of years I went down there and, and took in the poetry festival, and, and one of the great things about Bisbee is there's some excellent uh, antique stores and kind of junk shops. And during one of my trips down there, I found this 9 by 13 black and white print of a gal in blackface. And I was taken by it because the, the girl in the picture looked very much like a friend of mine from high school. Um, who would never have worn blackface. Um, so, but the picture, it looked very much like uh, a friend of mine from high school. So I was looking at it, and the, the gal who owned the antique store saw that I was looking at it, and there was a few of these pictures from, um, of these women in blackface, and she told me the story about how this woman and her sister were doing these acts on in on vaudeville in the you know early part of the 20th century um, in blackface, and they were very risque at the time. And the sisters was you know very sexual in nature, and and they were very you know it was it was it was controversial. So that. Kind of attracted me, and then just the sheer, just the you know, kind of terrible nature of this history um, made me want to say something about it. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with this picture, but I bought this picture, and I thought, you know, this would make a great record cover. And I was, you know, already had been doing Hillbilly for several years at this point, so I, I thought this this will this will get under people's skin. And it occurred to me right away that, that the name would have to be colorized. Um, 
And then the back, the picture from the back was of the CD is of a, a lady in black and white who's missing her lower limbs. Um, her, her legs are gone and I'm trying to think where I found this particular picture. Um, you know, we st stole these images, basically. I bought the picture in Bisbee for the cover, but the other image I stole from a book. Um, it's just kind of a striking, odd, weird picture. And so that's where the, that's where the name Colorized came from, was this, this, this picture in blackface. That, again, over the years, people have accused us of being racist when the commentary of it was to say that it was wrong. Do. But anyway, um, so Colorized uh, came after uh, Trent Pittard had joined the band. And, and again, I mentioned in the last episode that his hillbilly name was Mr. Smith. And I can't remember exactly why he, he didn't want his real name associated with uh, hillbilly doublespeak at the time, probably because we were, you know, considered to be um, kind of to the grain, I don't know, but we had all these songs we wanted to record, and we'd we'd gotten gotten our beaks wet with recording the seven inch, and I had really wanted to get back in and record more, so we we started saving up our money from from our shows, and and finally had enough to uh, to make the record. Um, we didn't have a label; uh, nobody had jumped in and said we want to put this record out, and and. Honestly, I don't know how hard that I tried um, to get label interest. I, I had wanted to be on Alternative Tentacles, but that had not gone anywhere. Um, and I think I, you know, I'd, I'd hoped that maybe BGR would consider putting it out again, but by that point, BGR was was defunct. Um, so we had, you know, we had the money. So we created our own record label, um, and I used a, a name that I had been kind of going by as an alias for myself, uh, Slack Daddy. That, uh, you know, and I can't remember where Slack Daddy came from, but I, I thought that was a pretty cool, cool name for a record label. So we, we put it out on Slack Daddy, and we went back to Blue Sky, where we had done the seven inch, and we had Alex Newport come out and record it for us um, in uh, early, early 1998 or. It might have even recorded in 1997. I can't remember for sure. Late 97, early 98. I was living out in Ahwatukee, which is a suburb of Phoenix at the time, um, and had started working for an, a nonprofit agency uh, teaching kids um, how to protect themselves from sexual violence. So this was. Uh, it was just all very strange to th think that here was here I was this guy who was out there teaching kids about these these very difficult subjects and then putting out this really noisy um, loud punk rock record with a girl in blackface on the cover and an amputee on the back and and um, really kind of strange scary noisy sounds on it so. It was perfect. It was it was what I was supposed to be doing at that time.
So some of the songs that made it onto Colorized, we had been playing for a few years prior to recording them. Um, some predated uh, Trent in the band, and some had come from from the jam sessions after he joined. Um, the first track on the record is Casa Bravo, and I'm fond of that song for for multiple reasons. Um, it's one of the one of my favorite punk rock songs that I've written. Um, it's got a kind of a slidey bass line where I kind of slide up the neck and 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 EJ did this great drum intro that was but it was just all toms and it just and then you know the bass comes in um, and the guitars and and I believe we'd written that one before Trent joined the band but then when he added the second guitar and it just you know just made it just noisy and great and I, I love that song too because it got us our first show at Gilman Street um, which would have happened in 1999 up in up in Berkeley uh, they, they always wanted you to send send a a song so that they could check you out if you were trying to get a gig there and I sent them Casa Bravo because it was our most political song in a way the most overtly political song um, you know with I mean the first line is tax the rich by granting opportunity feed the poor with a mouthful of lies um, and it just goes on from there the you know, chorus of show your colors this is America land of opportunity home of the brave um, just taking, you know, taking down all that bullshit that we'd been fed as kids about, you know, democracy and how America was built for the people, and it's really just just a plaything for rich folks. Um, so Casa Bravo is just one of my favorites, and it's and it's one of the one of the songs that has always sort of been a constant in hillbilly sets through the years. Um, Except for the Claire years, she, I can't remember if she, she might have been able to, we might have played Casa Bravo a few times with Claire, but she had a really hard time with some of those early songs. Uh, but anyway, that's a different, different topic. Um, Casa Bravo goes into Stemmed It, and Stemmed It is a short, um, just, you know, really just a few notes, uh, blast of, of, of noise that, uh, if I remember correctly, Carlino had a hand in naming because he liked this this idea of of severing the brainstem. He was really into uh, books about serial killers and some, some dark imagery, so Stemmed It was that, and I think influenced a bit by the R. Bud Dwyer video from his press conference. Um, he was the state treasurer in, in Pennsylvania who killed himself. Um, the late 80s, I believe, early 90s, and so that just that kind of came from that, and then and also stemmed it. Also had some some drug references in the lyrics, and um, you know, and that's that's it starts with da na 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 a bunch of friends of mine go through some some really serious uh, issues with drugs in the in the 90s. Um, you know, as I mentioned in previous episode, I had 
I had gotten out of that uh, lifestyle in 1992, and which really kind of allowed me to, you know, get my act together in terms of of getting my college degree and um, you know meeting meeting my my oldest child for the first time when he was five and you know in 1995. If I hadn't have been sober in those days, I'm not sure how well that would have gone, and or if I'd follow the path of some of my friends and and gotten really into you know, crystal meth, which just destroyed a few of my friends' lives there for a while. Um, I'm not sure I would have ever started Hillbilly Devil Speak. I'm not sure I would have been a you know, very good person for my son to meet. So I got out of that. But, you know, but those looking back at the, those songs, the experience of watching my friends go through some of these things, especially a song like Stemmed It, um, you know, I, I think that... Uh, that was definitely influenced by by watching what I considered my friends to be committing a much slower form of suicide. Um, Head Cleaner is about that's track three, and that's another favorite of mine. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say probably a favorite of most of the folks who've been in Hillbilly Devil Speak over the years. Just kind of a bludgeoning, heavy riff again. You know, just a couple notes, um, mostly repeated over with some slides up. That was kind of my my signature move because I, I wasn't very adept at my instrument in those days. So sliding, making a nice noisy slide up the neck to get that good effect was something I did a lot. And Head Cleaner had that in it. Um, Head Cleaner was kind of a double entendre. Um, I really liked the concept of the killer in The Professional, the assassin, um, referring to himself as a cleaner. Uh, I believe it comes from that movie. And then double entendre with the idea of um, a head cleaner cleaning the, the noise off of your tapes. Um, and that's where that kind of came from. And the song itself is, is about people feeling as if they are robots. That, that no one would choose. Um, so Head Cleaner, you know, from the time we started playing that until, you know, even when, when we play now still, um, and Hillbilly still plays every once in a while, Head Cleaner is going to be in the set. Um, and there's a part in there where, you know, that I always loved. I was kind of one of those happy accidents in practice where it just stuck, where we're getting ready to, to kind of jump into the song and, and I go, <clears throat> and it just kind of worked. Um, track four is called Brains, and Brains is a result of another happy accident. Um, in my effects rack, I had, I had an Effectron um, and then I had another digital delay, and I can't think of who made that digital delay. Um, I got rid of it years ago. Uh, I had a MIDI verb, and a Lisa's MIDI verb, and an Elisa's quadra verb. And the quadra verb I'd gotten from from Alex um, from from he had used it on one of the Fudge Tunnel records and on a tour. And I kept a lot of the settings he'd created on the quadriverb and just used those settings to, to put vocals through. And so Brains had a really fun setting that Alex had made on the quadriverb 
and then some really wet sort of reverb delay through the effectron, and then a, a more really digital kind of electronic-y sounding effect on the other digital delay that I had, um, and, a, and a really kind of wet, fat reverb on the on the MIDI verb. So it made this really just sort of harsh demon sound. And, and, and Carlino had, had recorded, he liked to record preachers on uh, like Channel 21 in Phoenix. And I think this one might have been a recording from one he'd gotten in Texas before he even moved here. But this guy's talking about your brains being washed. And he says, you know what you need sometimes? You need to be brainwashed. Our brains need to be washed. And so we kind of looped that in there. and. And we also had, there was a longer part of the sermon where he talks about, you know, uh, where Ephesians says about the washing of our minds in the word of the Lord. And, and we just thought this was a, a great thing um, for a song. So we played that recording. That kind of starts the song off and then it goes into this really heavy riff, this down. It's real, drums are heavy and very sort of apocalyptic, um, and then the only words really are, you know, brains and, and kill, um, and I'm kind of, I do some kind of scatting over it, which, you know, just kind of, because of the heavy effects on the vocals, um, you can't really tell, and I don't even know if I actually was saying words when I recorded it, um, and then, and then Trent adds some backing vocals where he's, you know, yelling kill over the top, and and it's just, you know, it's it's just four minutes or so of just madness. Um, and Brains, actually, somebody used, I think, Scorched Earth. I think our friend Blake um, had the Scorched Earth label. And, and he'll come up later in the story, too, because he helped us uh, make the CDs. But I think he put Brains on one of his Scorched Earth record, uh, compilations. The Brains, and then... Um, I liked to get a lot of the lyrics in the early days of Hillbilly from straight from the news. And so um, track five is called Chew Well. And it was a story here in Phoenix about a, a guy who was in his 20s who was all geeked out on crystal meth and um, had been up for days and started hallucinating and, and, and thought that he was a lion. And so uh, because he, he decided he was a lion and he needed to eat, he attacked his mother, um, and his mother w was asleep, and she woke up to him, um, you know, biting her and, and you know, mauling her, basically. Um, so Chewell is about that, and it's, uh, you know, it was probably, some people talked about Chewell being our prettiest hillbilly song um, and haunting, I know. Uh, Steve, who used to be the sound guy at Hollywood Alley, he really liked Chew Well, would always ask us to play Chew Well, um, and Trent added a really great uh, little kind of haunting guitar line um, over the, the noise, noisy guitar bit that, um, that Carlino created, so there was this sort of feedback-laden part that Carlino created with slide, and, and then Trent put this really neat little melody line over it that um, kind of worked really well. So. And it kind of is a kind of it's in the Pixies uh, world of quiet, then loud, and back to quiet, then loud again. Uh, a 
probably one of our longer songs. And it tells, us, tells the story of the guy losing his mind, staying up for days. Track six is probably uh, maybe the most popular of all the hillbilly songs ever, and that was a song called Glad. And, um, and that song was uh, something that was originally sort of created as a diss track. Um, I, had, I had tried out for a band in town that was a, a really good band, and um, they did not select me to be their new bass player was bitter about it so I came up with Glad which was a you know just a real heavy riff um, and uh, because it was kind of personal to me I actually encouraged Trent to sing it um, so he sang lead on that one and I just sang the backups and kind of the what would what would have amounted to be the chorusy bits of Glad, um, but people loved it, and uh, you know, the main line is, I'm not bitter because I'm better than you, and that was, that was my, my fuck you to the band that did not choose me to be their new bass player, and, and you know, hindsight again being 2020, it was a good thing that that particular band chose the, the gentleman that they did, because he was a million times better musician than I was and could take them to the places where they wanted to go where I, at the time I would have held them back um, so but glad was me being bitter and uh, track 7 is Polanski um, so again uh, there's the Carlino influence of being super interested in, in this whole serial killer thing and us coming up with this kind of weird um, interweaving of his guitar over this bass line that I came up with um, and then shouting about Roman Polanski and, and uh, you know his, his love for young girls and also how you know, there's a line in there that says old Charlie Manson he tried to give you an alibi um, Sharon Tate's lullaby you know, now again, looking back, I was like, well, that was pretty ugly of, of me to, to be writing this stuff, but, you know, at the time, um, I was in my 20s, and I was kind of an angry guy, and this was my way of exercising those demons. The last track of the, the songs that we recorded at Blue Sky that went around Colorized was called Mistake, and that was one that, um, that Trent and I had written together. And we, I remember us sitting in, in my apartment, the apartment I share with my, I actually, we weren't married yet, but my then girlfriend and our son, um, we sat at the kitchen table and came up with the lyrics to Mistake. And it's, it's you know, it's, uh, I love listening to it now. Um, this was a song that we, I think we didn't play it live very many times at all, um, just because of the ti timing wise. It was the, kind of the last thing we wrote before we went in to record, and I think I wanted to make sure there was a song on there that was it was truly a product of of the new and improved, in my eyes, four-piece version of Hillbilly Devil Speak. So Mistake was the track eight, um, and I don't really remember why we came up with that name. 
Uh, it's kind of another rant about religion. Now, there's four bonus tracks on Colorized. Those came from the recording session that we did with, with Alex in our practice room where we had, we had uh, rented the, the, the DAT machine from the Less Pain guys. And, and those were four songs that were kind of staples of those early mid, or mid-90s hillbilly sets. Um, probably getting the order wrong here, but I'm going to talk about Koresh first, and Koresh was a kind of a big crazy song that, that was about David Koresh, and I, I was watching watching the news, um, or one of those news shows at home on my, my TV in, I think, 1995, and they were talking about, about uh, Branch Davidian and Waco, and, and they were had interviewed a young lady who had been there. And she had talked about how David Koresh um, sexually abused her um, and her, her dad. She'd lived there with her mom and her dad uh, had gotten her out of there before the whole incident with the FBI and such and um, ATF happened. So her mom died uh, there in Waco, um, but she had gotten out. And so I kind of took statements that she had made on the, on the new show and I made lyrics out of them. And, uh, and again, it was a very ugly, ugly song. Looking back at it, um, but it's and it's it definitely irritated people in the audience over the years because you know there's a line in there about where I say you know I kind of shout into the microphone you know you want to finger my pussy, um, and that was an you know very much an anti-sexual abuse statement, but people didn't always know understand that that's where it was coming from and then a couple years later I started teaching kids about sexual abuse and I really took some heat every once in a while when people would kind of figure out what my day job was and that I was singing these lyrics and I had to explain to them look it is not saying that it's good that what Koresh did it's saying it's bad um, and at the end of the song I kind of talk about how was, you know, she was upset. She was angry that they had gone in there and, and, and killed all those people. And there's a line in there that says, you know, Mr. Senator, uh, I want to ask you, I've answered all your questions because this girl had testified before, before the Senate. Um, I've answered all your questions. Now I've got one for you. You know, why'd you torture my mother? Um, and so, you know, that was a lot. I mean, that, that song in itself kind of said a lot about what Hillbilly Devilspeak was all about in those days. Just a blunt instrument of noise and, and anger. Um, there was a song, another one of the bonus songs was called Karen, Your Lip Syncing Again, which is a super butthole surfer inspired riff and, and song where I've, I've definitely got my vocals dialed into something that I think would have made Gibby Haynes, Haynes proud. Um, but it's about, you know, another thing that I'd taken straight from the news when Karen Carpenter died and you know, it was about her starving herself to death and, and just some you know, kind of really mean mean lyrics um, but hilarious too and, um, and just a, a big sort of ugly harsh riff um, a song that I wish could play alive again but uh, you know Terry Terry Carlino is dead so um, I don't know that anybody could have done 
he did on that song, Justice. Justice. Uh, then there was Second Cousin, which was inspired by the colorized um, title or cover art um, that was just a noisy, kind of jaunty song about um, someone having sex with their, their black second cousin. Wouldn't fly today, I'm sure. Um, you know, I can attest to you now that I meant nothing by it um, that would have been tried to be offensive to anyone other than people who were inbred and kind of went along with the whole hillbilly thing, too. Um, not something I'm particularly proud of at this moment, but um, I did like the riff. And then Rodman versus Soul. Now, Rodman vs. Soul, um, the full title would be Dennis Rodman vs. David Soul, and it was just sort of, it was a dream that I had had, um, where, you know, in my dream, Dennis Rodman and, and David Soul were kind of interacting with each other, so I remembered it, and I, you know, we had this kind of very um, noisy sort of indie rockish riff, or at least what I would have called indie rock in the, at the time. And, you know, the song is about um, Dennis Rodman and David Soul in my dream. Um, I was dreaming about basketball, and there was, you know, and I was, I'm, a, I'm a huge basketball fan, so that was, that was in those days, the Suns were, uh, you know, pretty fun to watch. You know, it's just post, post Barkley years, and, and, uh, keep thinking of the big orange, big orange suns and basketballs. Um, all my dreams are not forgotten. David Soul, Dennis Rodman. Uh, just weird, you know, kind of. And also, um, I taken, I was taking a class at the time that we wrote that song. That's right. It just occurred to me. I was taking. It. There was also weaving in there um, some of the the imagery from the movie Blue Velvet because I was a humanities major. Uh, in college, and um, so I got my degree in, and I took a class one semester that the entire class was about uh, David Lynch's movie Blue Velvet, and so um, that was in there as well, um, kind of uh, riffing on that whole early part of that movie where um, the protagonist is hiding out in... Um, closet and spying on Isabella Rossellini so that's the the 12 tracks and you know you you do make some you make some mistakes um, in, you know, when you're when you're writing all the lyrics um, you say some things sometimes they're like wow you look back and like why did I say that but yeah, but I, but then again, like I said, I know my heart, and I know that you know I wasn't trying to. With colorized, I definitely, you know, I, I'm I'm not for racist. And I, I would I put out a record now with a picture of someone in blackface called colorized on it. Um, I don't know, you know. Um, I still feel pretty strongly that that whole, you know, that blackface is wrong. 
some people might argue that I was kind of in a way endorsing it by putting it on the record cover, and, and maybe they're right. Um, but, you know, like I'll say now, like I said then, I would hope that people realize that with a name like Colorized, it was a comment on it being a bad thing, because in those days, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about taking old movies and colorizing them, and, and you know, myself included, with a lot of people thought that was just wrong, that, you know, they should not be colorized. They were filmed in black and white, they should stay in black and white. Um, but then some people were all for it, so, you know, every, every, there's always going to be somebody who disagrees with you, and, and a lot of folks disagreed with things that happened, um, or things that I said on this record. Um, weren't necessarily stoked on me talking about a guy getting super high on crystal meth and then trying to eat his mother um, or you know sonic brains or head cleaner that were definitely straight shots to the to the gut um, people thought I was glorifying what Roman Polanski did and not vilifying it uh, so Lessons were learned. Uh, I st still like this record, and I still have people come up to me and say that they love the record. Um, you know, I, I don't have any copies of it anymore. Uh, they're out there. We made a thousand of them. Um, you know, my buddy Blake, who, who put brains on a compilation he put out, um, he had a business doing CD location in those days, and that was... You know, that was kind of a big deal, and, and we had a Halloween show at Hollywood Alley to put it out. Um, Halloween that year was on a Friday night or Saturday night, I can't remember which, but big show, and um, the CDs didn't make it in time. So our first CD release party, there were no CDs. Um, we did have t-shirts, which kind of gave me the idea that lasted into to other bands over the years was that, well, if you don't have any new music to put out, you can always have a t-shirt release party. And so I joked, joked the night of uh, our CD release with no CDs that, uh, that it was really a t-shirt release party for the record. Uh, and we, you know, there are, there are pictures out there of us playing that night as well. So, and my ex-wife uh, went that night as, as the record cover, so she, she was in blackface. Um, and again, that probably wouldn't have gone, wouldn't go over well now, and, and as well it shouldn't. Um, you know, but live and learn. Um, you know, Colorize is one that, you know, if we do play a show... I will pull it out and listen to it sometimes, and, and uh, you know that t it takes me right back. Um, for musicians, especially us minor league musicians, who you know our records impacted maybe hundreds or, or thousands of people, as opposed to millions upon millions. Um, it's kind of fun to go back and listen to those early stuff that you've done, and and think about the things that you would do differently now, and. And how, uh, you know, what 
what you learn in the studio because that was that was only my third time in the studio and I do know a heck of a lot more now it'd be I've thought several times about going back and re-recording Casa Bravo and Head Cleaner and maybe Glad if I want to do any of the other ones, but um, those ones definitely could, could be re-recorded at some point, but probably won't. Anyway, um, that's all I have to say about that, and, you know, uh, next time we'll talk about Kiss the Brown Star, which was Hillbilly's second record, um, and, and go from there with a whole new lineup of, of people, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying this. If you have questions or comments, um, you can you can respond through the Anchor website. You can also, if you want to email me, you can do that too. My email um, that I'll use for this for right now is uh, finart at gmail.com. That's P as in Paul, H as in Harry, N as in Nancy, A as in Arthur, R as in Rodney, T as in Thomas at gmail. Dot com so fanart um, and I'd be happy to respond and answer questions um, if you have them or uh, maybe maybe you want to send me some hate mail that, that could that could happen too um, so next time we'll talk about kiss the brown star which was the second hillbilly record and um, I appreciate you listening so have a great one this has been minor league musician bye for now